Travis Smiley, you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. Some sad news to share. Bobby Caldwell, the soulful singer and songwriter behind R&B hits like the one you're listening to right now, What You Won't Do For Love and Open Your Eyes, has died. According to a statement from his wife, Mary Caldwell, he was 71. His wife said he'd been dealing with health issues, that is, uh, for some time. Uh, his hit song, What You Won't Do For Love, hit the Billboard 100 charts after its release in 1978. Artists as various uh, as Tupac Shakur, Common, and John Legend have all sampled his music. He was born in New York, grew up in Miami, and got a big break, I didn't know this, as a guitarist for Little Richard. Uh, he credited his cultural diversity uh, in his hometown. We just talked for an hour about diversity, right? Bobby Caldwell credited cultural diversity in his hometown uh, with its Haitian, reggae, Latin pop, and R&B influences with his ability to perform music across all genres we just discussed this on this program a few weeks ago we had a uh, question to one of our guests we went back and forth about it putting together our top 10 top 10 blue-eyed soul artists and bobby caldwell is on that list bobby caldwell dead at the age of 71 again um you gotta be stuck on stupid to have a top 10 list of blue-eyed soul artist and Bobby Caldwell not be on your list, maybe even at the top of your list. Uh, I had the interview, uh, had the chance to interview Bobby Caldwell once or twice on my uh, national television program. Great guy. I enjoyed the conversation immensely, and he got tickled when I told him, as every other black person has told him in, in this country and around the world, that we did not know he was white until until we finally saw him. Uh, but just to hear uh, his smooth song stylings, you would never have guessed. That this white brother could do it the way Bobby Caldwell did it. He is now gone at the age of 71. In this hour, uh, a conversation about the issue of black masculinity. It is an area of study and topic of public discourse that has gained increasing uh, attention. I think it's fair to say in recent years, the subject of black masculinity is brought to the fore once again with the recent box office smash hit Creed 3. Starring Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors, a conversation then about how black men navigate the intersections of race, gender, and culture in this hour. Now that we are joined by psychologist and human behavior specialist, Dr. Curtis D. Jasper. Dr. Jasper, good to have you on, sir. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's my great honor, man. Thank you for taking the time. Glad we've got the hour. A lot to talk about. Let me start with this. Uh, and we will get more specific as we move through the hour. Uh, but I wonder if I might start with a question about um, your critique of the conversation about black masculinity of late. Give me your thoughts. So I think it's overused. Mm -hmm. uh, if we go back to the pandemic every six months, we were focusing on some catchphrase, if you will. And I just think that toxic masculinity has hung around longer than necessary. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had many conversations regarding it, and uh, I'm happy to unpack it. What shows up for me is that it has derived from outside cultures, <laughs> mm -hmm. and the black community has sort of ran with it. And uh, yeah, man, we can go several areas with that. Well, let's go then. We got an hour, man. I got time. You got time. Let's jump in. <laughs> when you say it's derived from outside culture, tell me more. Yeah, I mean, white white culture has been coming up with phrases to uh, sort of limit our uh, existence, as we know. Uh, and I just think it's time to sort of uh, shed light on what it means to be uh, 
masculine from a black standpoint and outside cultures has sort of uh, put a halt to that by throwing this toxic term that was very prevalent during the uh, pandemic. I'm not um, what it means to be. Go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. I'm sorry. What it means to be. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What it, what it means to be black and masculine is, is, is unique when mm -hmm. it comes to just the overall conversation of masculinity. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to work with 99% of black men from a professional standpoint. And we are now struggling because of outside influences on what it means to be masculine and black. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm full of questions. It's going to be a rich hour. I'm, I'm, I'm just getting started here. Um, t tell me how it is. Again, I'm not naive in asking this question either. But how is it that we allow outside cultures to use your phrase i love that very very nicely put how do we allow outside cultures to define terminology like this for us and the broader society and moreover how then do we buy into those uh definitions yeah great question tavis uh i think the push for social media is probably leading this charge mm -hmm. uh we have a large segment of just the mass consciousness who are not doing due diligence. I mean, they ain't reading nothing, but they are scrolling. They mm -hmm. are sharing. They are reposting. And it is that push that has, you know, even even in your opening, it is that push that has sort of generated these fragmented conversations on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, so I just think the, the, the fast movement of social media has contributed uh, to our detriment in a lot of different areas. Mm -hmm. But this, this this terminology, toxic black masculinity, was that deliberate or was that malign? No, that was deliberate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this whole notion of toxic, right, meaning poisonous, uh, and then, at, you know, uh, added in front of masculinity was a deliberate configuration, no mm -hmm. question about that. Yeah, I meant deliberate or benign. I said malign. Uh, that's the same thing. I mean, <laughs> deliberate or, be or benign. But you took my point, and I thank you for not correcting me. But you gave me the answer I wanted anyway. Um, the, the other thing, no that, the other thing that fascinates me is um, your comment of a moment ago that the term "toxic black masculinity" has hung around uh, longer than necessary. Unpack that for me. Yeah, I think it's just it's a it's a combination of, of capitalism, sexism, racism, the LB. GTQ movement. Uh, there's a, a compilation on why this is happening uh, when it comes to uh, black masculinity. Uh, it has us uh, conversing, um, not really pinpointing what it means to uniquely be black and masculine. Um, for example, um, when, when, if you've seen the movie uh, Creed Three, the two brothers who the pictures are floating around where, where they're hugging each other, they're mm -hmm. in close proximity. Uh, and, and, and social media ran with that. The black community had a field day with that on mediums that are ran by white folks. Mm -hmm. um, but the black people had a lot to say as if sports figures did not embrace, as if magic, <laughs> like mm -hmm. as if today college players are not hugging on each other on the sideline. It's a sports movie. It's an expression of black masculinity. The toxic displaced, displaced Tavis. Mm -hmm. um, t tell me more for those who've not been on social media and uh, haven't seen what you saw and others, uh, uh, others, of, others of us haven't in fact seen um, tell me how you read um, the ways in which those pictures were circulated and the commentary attached there too it was refreshing it mm -hmm. was refreshing uh, from my standpoint to see two brothers who I've been following for the last few years 
you know, just just professional progression. And it was refreshing to see a photograph with two brothers starring in the movie, uh, embracing each other, Mm -hmm. hugging each other, staring into the camera. Uh, That that was refreshing to me. Mm -hmm. That was refreshing to me. It did not cross my mind to be disturbing. It didn't shake my spirit or my soul. I actually smiled and <laughs> hurried up and jumped in the movie theater. And to see it. <laughs> well, it worked. It, it, it worked. Uh, exactly. He set records. He set records on opening weekend, so it, it got through to somebody. When we come forward, just getting started, it's going to be a fun hour here, um, uh, an empowering hour, an enlightening hour, an inspiring hour, and we'll laugh a little bit. Uh, but uh, I've got some more questions. Uh, I want to, when we come forward, ask him, I could have started our conversation here, what he thinks. When he hears the term toxic black masculinity, moreover, what does he think we think when we hear the term toxic black masculinity? Uh, There's a lot more to unpack as we move through this hour. You're listening to uh, Tavis Smiley uh, on KBLA Talk 1580. Uh, Our guest in this hour is Dr. Curtis D. Jasper as we offer tribute to Bobby Caldwell, who passed away earlier today at the age of 71. Tavis Smiley, that's Bobby Caldwell. In case you just tuned in, Bobby Caldwell. That blue-eyed soul singer out of Miami passed away today at the age of 71. Uh, and uh, we are playing a little Bobby Caldwell for you in this hour as we celebrate uh, his catalog and uh, the hits that he uh, gave us during his lifetime. Um, I didn't realize this either. I, as I said, I interviewed Bobby Caldwell a couple times uh, in my career. So honored to do so. I did not realize that he wrote the big hit. The Next Time I Fall for Amy Grant and Peter Cetera. Big hit for Amy Grant and Peter Cetera. The Next Time I Fall in Love. Uh, Bobby Caldwell wrote that song for them. And a number of other songs, uh, a number of other songs, I should say, he wrote for other artists, uh, aside from the hits that he uh, penned for himself. Again, Bobby Caldwell, dead at the age of 71. And uh, uh, if you also just tuned in, um, we mentioned in our last hour breaking news out of the White House. uh, President Joe Biden uh, has made a statement that uh, Jimmy Carter, former President Jimmy Carter, is in his final um, days, hours. uh, We don't know exactly, uh, but uh, the Jimmy Carter is on the verge of making his transition. uh, And he has asked President Biden to offer the eulogy at his funeral services. And so that comment, commentary statement came from President Biden uh, about the condition of one Jimmy Carter. As you know, a few weeks ago, he left the hospital saying he wanted to spend his remaining days at home with his family in hospice. And so he has been at his home, longtime home in Plains, Georgia, uh, preparing to make his transition. And so in the days ahead, we expect or uh, perhaps even hours, who knows, uh, Jimmy Carter to make his transition. We all, as I said earlier, at some point have to do that dance with mortality. We will not get out of here alive. Uh, and um, I only know one person who left and came back three days later. Uh, but I digress on that particular point. Uh, uh, Bobby Caldwell dead at 71, and we are on watch now for President Jimmy Carter. I also mentioned last hour I've interviewed Jimmy Carter many times in the course of my career. I'm thankful for that. And when that moment comes, we'll be uh, happy to share with you some um, some uh, some pieces of our various conversations with President Carter over the course of my broadcast career. He was always kind to put me on his list uh, whenever he came this way. And so uh, we uh, will celebrate the life and legacy of Jimmy Carter at the appropriate time. In this hour, we continue our conversation about black masculinity, a subject that uh, has been uh, talked about increasingly over the last few years and uh, certainly an area of study. And the issue is back front and center, uh, thanks to some uh, some. Uh, 
marketing and promotion vis-a-vis Creed Three, the massive hit starring Michael B. Jordan. Uh, movie also, of course, his uh, directorial debut. And alongside him in that movie is, you know, Jonathan Major. So this issue of black masculinity uh, is back at the uh, uh, on, on the table for uh, uh, for conversation. And I'm delighted in this hour to have uh, as our guest, Dr. Curtis D. Jasper, a scholar and an expert uh, in the field of African-American studies and uh, has a particular focus on black masculinity for our conversation today. And I'm uh, glad to have him here. Um, uh, Dr. Dr. Jasper, let me let me come to that question that I posed before the, the break a moment ago, which is and we could have started here. When you hear the term that you think has uh, hung around far too long, as you've already said, when you hear the term toxic black masculinity, uh, what do you think and how do you think everyday people? Uh, process that term? What do they hear when they hear that phrase, toxic black masculinity? Well, I hear a couple of things, uh, depending on the context and who it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if it's outside the culture, uh, if it's amongst white folks, I, I hear the N-word, let's mm. be clear. Uh, when it when it's circulated amongst us, I hear uh, a discrepancy, a battle between gender and sexes, men versus women, and a whole host of things that come from that. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I share with people is, like, we got to be clear on inserting other people's perspectives into our culture from their context mm-hmm. with words like toxic. Yeah. Um, tell me more about the ways in which you see this intra, since you teed it up, this intra-black community conversation, <laughs> debate, dialogue, you tell me about toxic black masculinity, namely, of course, men and women, men v. women. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm i open to conversations when it comes up, because it comes up frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I offer people to, to sort of dissect how we just assign terms to it. Now, I'm all for hyper-masculinity, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've, we've used that in proper context, mm-hmm. culturally context, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning energetic, right? More than use it, excited. We've said things like hype. So black boys are born with their head on a swivel. They are born in a culture that has conditioned them at birth to be hyper. Mm -hmm. With that hyper, they add this lifelong quest of what it means to be masculine. So that's that's the hyper masculinity, Mm -hmm. right? Is it dangerous? Is it uh, exploitive? Is it uh, maladaptive in instances? But we could assign that to uh, more white folks than black any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I what I challenge black folks on is really staying with what it is that we're actually saying about black men when it comes to masculinity. Mm-hmm. So that term, um, I, I hear you pushing back as you have and will continue to, I'm sure, for the rest of this hour. I hear you pushing back on the term toxic black masculinity. Um, but so that I hear you correctly, are you suggesting that hyper black masculinity uh, is not a term that you find derogatory? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think hyper masculinity uh, is, is, is derogatory when it's assigned to black men, overly excited or energetic. Right. It mm-hmm. doesn't. It's not synonymous with dangerous, mm-hmm. not synonymous with uh, predatory as toxic is when it's presented from outside cultures into the black community. Mm-hmm. Um, take me back. Uh, and we, again, we got the hour here, so you can uh, you can uh, feel free to just unpack a little bit more if, you, if you'd like. Um, but take me back to sure. when you think uh, certainly here in, in how can I put this in late modernity, in late modernity. Take me back to when you think this conversation about toxic black masculinity jumped off. What was the context of the jumping off? 
of this terminology as 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 you see it? So that's a good question, Tavis. Uh, I I heard it uh, years ago. Mm-hmm. Right? Then it sort of died down, and then it it, it sort of picked back up uh, during the pandemic. Rightfully so. We were locked in. We were mm-hmm. closed off. Uh, there were a lot of emotional challenges that came with that. Men were closed off. Uh, men were impacted uh, financially. The world were, but I'm spe- speaking specifically about black men. So that word took on a life of its own when it came to toxic, right? There was, first it was just toxic men, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. The white women were saying that, just men are toxic. Then this masculinity and then black was added to that. But I saw that coming, Tavis. Mm-hmm. I saw toxic, then men. I saw toxic masculinity and then I saw toxic black masculinity and it actually picked up steam in that order. Yeah. What, what to your mind was the purpose? I asked you earlier, was this deliberate or was it benign? You said deliberate. I could have followed up then, but I want to pivot now to back to that. What was the purpose uh, on the part of whomever it was that started referring to us as uh, toxic black males, uh, started using the phrase toxic black masculinity? What was the intent? What was the purpose of labeling us as such? I mean, we go back to the George Floyd era during the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Right after that, here we come, right? It was sort of a numbing, uh, keep us in our place thing. That's how I received it, right? It was based on systemic racism to uh, uh, describe black men uh, softly mm-hmm. as being dangerous by adding the word toxic. Mm-hmm. Are there things um, that African-American males do uh, that play into that aid and abet. Um, they're referring to us as toxic black males. Yes, I mean there's a lot of things. Uh, mostly when it when it when it comes to you know systems in place that are not uh, in support of black men being fully comprehensive holistic men, starting from boyhood. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a lot of different things that come into play. Yeah, are, are there black boys and black men? who are exploiting the whole use of masculinity? Are they dangerous? Is there domestic violence? Absolutely. There is. Right. And I'm not refraining that. I'm not giving a pass that brothers in general are not toxic. (laughs) What I'm offering is the term toxic is cold word for dangerous black men. And I offer us to uh, unpack that. Mm -hmm. Um, What black men could do is a a number of things. First, you know, we, we, we have to really uh, allow ourselves to be fully expressed. Like, what does it mean to be a comprehensive brother, right? Mm-hmm. That includes crying. You you could be black and masculine. You could be 230 pounds and shed a tear weekly and still be solid, mm-hmm. right? It's that wave of what it means to be fully expressed as a black man. Yeah, we can replace that with this T word, toxic, and just talk about what does it mean to be fully expressed? Because dangerous and, and, and uh, uh, reckless, is not is is not what it means to be masculine. I like your phrase of uh, being a comprehensive black man, a comprehensive black man. But tell me more about why you think then that so many black men are trying to find the right word here, afraid to be uh, choose not to be. You tell me uh, mm-hmm. fully expressed, as you put it. There's no value in it. Mm. Black men are afraid to express themselves that they don't see value and they know the world don't, doesn't see value. Black men from a very, at birth, they are clear that they're only as useful as their productivity. 
period. Mm. Their usefulness is based on their productivity. They see no value in being fully expressed, right? Of course, we could take it down to black. We were told not to cry. and that. Mm-hmm. Uh, All of us cried. It just depends on if we did it in the light or in the dark. <laughs> but what we do know, <laughs> what we do know is that we don't express what is not valued, right? Yeah. In the hood or in the boardroom. We just don't. And that's cultural, but it's predicated on patriarchy, capitalism, and systemic racism. Yeah. My my board op, a young brother named Miles Lowe, used to work for a guy named Michael Bazin. I think Bazin wrote a book called Men Cry in the Dark. Am I right? Yeah, it's a good book that yep. Bazin wrote mm-hmm. uh, about uh, called Men Cry in the Dark. I recall that book from years ago. I still have it on my bookshelf somewhere. Um, when we come forward yep. after news trafficking sports, I want to come back to this notion of um, – uh, being a fully expressed black male, not having any value in it. I ain't done with that yet. I, I want to come back to that. And I, I also want to pivot. I'm going to swing out here, but I know he can handle it. Uh, and ask Dr. Kurt about the relationship, the, the, the dialectic, if you will, between vulnerability and masculinity. Vulnerability and masculinity. A great deal more to talk about in this hour as we uh, tackle this topic of black masculinity that's back on, on the table for conversation uh, based on um, the movie Creed 3 starring Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors. You're listening to a conversation about black masculinity right now on KBLA Talk 15. We are trying to open your eyes and show you the light in this hour in conversation about black uh, masculinity, toxic black masculinity, hyper black masculinity. Uh, with our guest, uh, Dr. Curtis D. Jasper, but we are playing that particular track uh, from Bobby Caldwell because he is now the late, great Bobby Caldwell. We learned uh, a little bit ago that Bobby Caldwell has passed away at the age of 71, uh, one of the great uh, blue-eyed soul singers, uh, now gone uh, at the age of 71, uh, Bobby Caldwell. Uh, we continue now with Dr. Kurt uh, in this hour as we talk about, again, uh, all things black masculinity. And before news traffic and sports, he said something that I was processing then and, frankly, processed all during that break. And that is this notion of what it means to be a comprehensive black man, what it means to be a fully expressed black man. Uh, two terms that Dr. Kurt used earlier in this conversation, but he suggested to me, not suggested, <clears throat> indeed said to me, when I asked him why black men, more of us are not willing to be comprehensive, why we are not willing to be fully expressed, uh, he said there, there's no value in it. Uh, and I've been I've been noodling that because I guess the question now is um, what value would we have to receive uh, to convince us to be more fully expressed, to be more comprehensive? Uh, Dr. Kurt. Yeah, I think it starts with redefining what masculinity means mm-hmm. for us in particular. Masculinity is a, is a social construct. It's a historical construct. It's a political construct. Right? But it's far from manhood, and it ain't biologically based, right? We we talk about the sisters being masculine from an energy standpoint. Mm-hmm. What I offer as black people in particular is redefine what it actually means. And the way to do that is set aside mainstream consciousness terms for a minute, toxic and masculine. Just go to manhood, what mm-hmm. that means to be fully expressed for now. And let's rock with that. Let's see where we go with that, because the social expectations on what it means to be a man is is different depending on which lens you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And we know from a systemic racism standpoint, it's already co-opted. And so when they throw terms like toxic and black, that's usually uh, constructed to, to have us to be uh, subservient socially, uh, politically, historically, and financially. Mm-hmm. Where, where would redefining 
the terms land us? And, I, and I'm asking that question with this in my mind. It may be a non sequitur, mm-hmm. but I, you, I think you, I hope, at least I hope you'll take my point. I'm thinking of the so called N word. I hate the N word because it ain't the N word. It's, it's nigga. That's what it is, right? Um, and <laughs> o- over over a period of years, while there's still a great debate about the use of that word, over a period of years, there are those who would argue that we have taken that word and flipped it. That we now use that word uh, as a term of endearment. Uh, again, I understand there's a great debate about that. People don't like that word. My mama from Mississippi hates that term. She ain't buying my spinning. She ain't buying the spin on the fact that we've taken the sting out of it. My Angelo, like yeah. a godmother to me, my Angelo and I had a great debate about this one day. I write about it in my book about our relationship uh, almost 30 years in the making. Uh, uh, and uh, she and I went at it one day, uh, lovingly, respectfully, about this, about this, about this so-called N-word. Uh, she had her take. I had my take. So my, my point, though, is that it, that's just one example of a word that we have taken and sort of redefined for ourselves. Uh, where that's landed us, I do not know. Hence my question: If we could, in fact, redefine these terms, toxic or or abandon them, uh, hyper masculine, where would the redefinition of those terms actually land us? Well, it allow us to be fully expressed first. We could assign words to how we feel and new perspectives. Right. We could sort of take our power back by saying, hey, let's sit this over. It's a million and one uh, being new words, right? Particularly when we talk about working with young boys and, 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 and young men. Right? Mm-hmm. What else we got is the phrase that I use when, they, when I'm talking to my peers when it comes to mentoring or giving back to the young boys. Like, what else we got? Mm-hmm. So if we set masculinity... Can we introduce the black community, black men in particular, to new perspectives, first starting with the language? And you use nigga, right? Mm-hmm. And us growing up in the south side of Chicago, that was our thing. I still on the text thread with my partners I grew up with. We don't use it mm-hmm. as much unless we're reflecting back to our high school days. Right. But now that we're in our 50 plus, we have deliberately used other softer words so that we can really, really stay connected. Mm-hmm. plus gentlemen. I think we owe that to the young guy. Yeah, that's a great segue um, to this other issue that I want to um, give you a chance to unpack for us in this hour. And I don't need to color this question much more than this, um, but talk to me about the relationship, the dialectic between vulnerability and masculinity as you see it. Right, so vulnerability in the general sense, for me, means to remain and stay open, mm-hmm. Right. I think the way it was presented outside of our context, outside of our cultural competencies from other folks, uh, it has traveled down to mean sort of docile and waiting to be attacked. <laughs> right. <laughs> so sort of just kind of like at the mercy, like just be vulnerable. Yeah. Like, and we can't get this over to the brothers in the hood. Right. Because yeah. subconsciously they have their own meaning to what these words mean. Mm-hmm. I replace it with vulnerability, depending on the context. So if it's emotional, be open, mm-hmm. meaning allow stuff to flow in and out. If it's, uh, uh financially ask for what you need. If it's, affection, ask for what that is being honored, but also being vulnerable is to be accountable. Mm. If I'm, I'm in the gym, Tavis, every morning with my trainer, I ask for help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's vulnerability. So we have to present a number of different examples to black men on what it means to be a vulnerable black man. Let me use that phrase. That's my new phrase, Tavis. I'm yeah. <laughs> a vulnerable <laughs> black man. If yeah. you know you need help asking, that's vulnerable. Don't have to give up your manhood, 
right? Yeah. You don't have to not cry. You don't have to lash out. What does it mean to be vulnerable? It means open. It means accountable. It means asking for what you need. It, it means being honorable to yourself. It don't mean waiting on the being attacked or crying every time your feelings are hurt. I mean, that has its place, but that's not what we're doing with vulnerability amongst the black community. No, I'm, 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 I'm glad I asked that question. I'm, I'm more, more pleased that you, uh, that you answered it in the way that you did. Because it seems to me, and I've said this many times, that when you ask a brother to be vulnerable, that's a, that, you, that's a dead end. That's a non-sequitur. It ain't a conversation starter when you tell a brother, well, you, you, just exactly. need to be, you just need to be vulnerable. So hold up, hold up, wait a minute. Because uh, I think the other, the other word I would add to that list is when brothers hear the word vulnerable, that think that mean, they think it means to be soft. It's some, some version of yep. being soft. And so that word vulnerable yep. is, a, is, a, is a non-starter uh, when you talk to a lot of black men, which, which leads me to this, though. It seems to me that what, what what you're basically establishing for me in this conversation, which I've never sort of thought about in this particular way, is that there is a way. Now, here's what I do know. Let me back up. I know that words matter. I know that language matters. It's what I do every day, right? I'm, I'm a linguist. This is what I do mm-hmm. every day on the radio and in my books and television. Mm-hmm. This is what I do. So I know that words matter. Language matters. Um, but I never thought about it in this context since I was listening to you literally in the last three minutes, which is that there is a way to talk to black men to get their attention, to pull them into a conversation. And there's a way, obviously, not to do that. Uh, But words and language matter. So let me just ask you, let me back up and ask a question about that, about the way in which we, if we want to be successful, engage in conversation, in dialogue, in discourse with black men. I mean, it has to be from us, by us, and used to empower us, Mm -hmm. right? And oftentimes, depending on your generation, we have to include all generations, mm-hmm. right? right? I work with young brothers. One of, one of the things I say, if a young person under 25 or 30 say they got you, they got you. If you mm-hmm. go to a restaurant and your waiter is a young person and he forgot, and he, you ask them, if a young person say, I, I got you, I got you, they have you. Mm-hmm. If they say nothing, maybe not. So we <laughs> have to really get it. <laughs> right. Those are the, those are, so we got to... <laughs> Yeah, we got to do we, we got to we got to reach back and reach forward and sort of collectively say, what is it like? Are you feeling me? Right. Yeah. Whether they say I got you yeah. or call me OG and say, uh, break that down to me. So yeah. I think it's uh, it's 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 it's. We got to do a better job at it. No, I'm laughing. Do. No, I'm laughing, Dr. Kurt. I went to, I was at a restaurant last night and there was this young brother uh, who was a uh, uh, at my table or waiting on my table. Uh, and, uh, I wasn't particularly happy with the service when I first arrived and I saw this young brother and he came over to the table and, and, uh, I told him what was troubling me. And he said, Mr. Smiley, I got you. I got you. And a few minutes later, this Negro brought me a new drink. He brought me some fresh bread. <laughs> he, he, brought, he, he brought me some, 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 uh, uh, hot macaroni and cheese. I mean, this brother, Took care of me last night. To your point, though, young brother, yeah. he said, "Mr. Yeah. Smiley, I got you." And sure enough, he got me for the rest of the night. And, and of course, of course, yeah. I, of course, I took care of him when all said and done. Although I'm learning, uh, as, I, although I'm learning, Doctor Kurt, you'll appreciate this. So the great motivator, speaking of uh, black men, the great motivator, Les Brown, was on this station in February. So the month of February, Black History Month, we had Les Brown do uh, a month long radio residency. So every day in the month of February, Les was just dropping bars for one hour every day, motivating the listeners to this uh, black station, talk station. Uh, so Les was, was amazing in the month of February. And one day, somehow, we were talking about tipping. And he made the point that that he never tips after a meal. He always tips in advance. Mm-hmm. And I had never thought about that. 
And I've had friends call me or text me and say, you know what? That's the best advice I've received all year long so far to tip in advance. Let's say if you want great service, tip that young brother, tip that young sister on the front side and you will hear much yep. more frequently. I got you. I digress. We'll continue yep. to come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Interrogating your assumptions and expanding your inventory of ideas. Let's get back to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's get back to Dr. Curtis D. Jasper, who is a uh, speaker, corporate consultant for companies like Microsoft and colleges and universities. He's the executive director of I Am International, a Georgia-based personal development training and consulting organization. Uh, busy brother, but he's taking an hour, um, a psychologist and human behavior, human behavior specialist that he is, taking an hour to spend with us in uh, uh, talking uh, about black masculinity. Uh, uh, and I'm delighted to have uh, had him on in this hour. A few minutes left in this hour. I want to cover a few more things. Let me start with this. Um, I'm not sure there's something here. There may be given what you do uh, as a psychologist and uh, human behavior specialist. Is there, is there a relationship um, between, that's the best way I can put it, a relationship between black masculinity and black male mental health? Yes, definitely. Tell me about it. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> well, when considering the term without using the word toxic, but black masculinity uh, can be excessively used like anything else. It can be overly used in the form of dominance and violence or to sort of assert power uh, uh, inappropriately. Mm -hmm. right? the, mental, the basis of mental health, from my experience working with thousands of black men, is the um, being emotionally unwell, mm, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, it starts in the body. It starts with the history of the trauma. It starts with the upbringing. Now, small percentage based on research that there are some real mental health challenges, but the majority of the black males that I work with for the last 15-something years, it starts with being emotionally unwell, being emotionally suppressed, uh, being shameful, and that, uh, impacts their uh, identity, their personal mm -hmm. identity, their sexual identity, their cultural identity, lots of things. Is it expressed through the mind and the behavior? Absolutely. And that's when other agencies get involved. And we could unpack that, as you know, Brother Tavis. Um, but there's a direct connection uh, between uh, masculinity from a toxic standpoint and uh, black mental health. Mm. Right. And uh, Go ahead. No, in, in, your, in your practice for these almost two decades now, um, what are the factors that you've identified that lead to the uh, emotional unwellness of black men? A host of things. Mm -hmm. um, there is uh, inadequacy starting from, you know, birth from uh, the primary uh, care providers not being connected. Uh, there's uh, inadequacy in school. Right? There is uh, one out of four uh, males, uh, black males, have been sexually uh, violated mm -hmm. uh, at an early age, and they struggle with that, right? Um, but one of the earliest institutions to really uh, misdiagnose black males is in the school system, mm -hmm. right? When they cannot control the behavior, they start that paperwork. They start those meds. And that's where the majority, 90% of the black men who have challenges have had some form of referral or diagnosis starting way back in elementary and middle school. Yeah, it's, uh, 
Yeah, it's a sad, uh, it's a sad uh, trajectory. Uh, but I, I hear, mm-hmm. the, I hear the point you're making. We've been talking in this hour about the ways in which toxic masculinity uh, impacts the black community. When we come forward in our remaining moments with uh, Dr. Kurt, uh, we'll close talking about the importance of redefining and promoting positive expressions of black masculinity and how exactly we go about doing just that. Dr. Kurt's final thoughts when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Say the quiet part out loud. KBLA Talk 1580. What do you mean he went searching for fresher powder? We have full classes today. Instructor down at Vesper Ski School. Toward each other to snowplow, honey, not away. She needs more ski instructors to slalom through the day-to-day. Pizza? Fries? Whoa, Braley, no! Pizza, pizza! Indeed can help her hire great people fast. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. We instantly connect you with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms. Let's unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now. Indeed it does. Three minutes left here in conversation with uh, Dr. Kurt. Uh, I uh, I say all the time that uh, you have to download our app and listen to us anywhere in the world in real time. I was checking uh, my phone during the break, and uh, one of my dear friends, who we just honored uh, on our stage here in Los Angeles uh, during Black History Month, we honored uh, Beverly White uh, as one of many uh, African-American legends in local media. And uh, I think I'm putting her out there, but Bev just texted me that she's listening right now to us on her app in her new home in Florida. She retired from KNBC after 30-plus years there, and now she's in Florida and listening to us live on the app to this conversation with Dr. Kurt. So, Bev, we love you, and we were honored to celebrate you for all your years of work and witness here on NBC Local and hope you uh, will enjoy your retirement. But I know, Bev, she ain't really going to retire, but uh, she and her husband now, mm-hmm. her beloved, are now in the state of Florida. And uh, thanks for listening to us on the app. Again, download our app, KBLA 1580. Listen to us anywhere you go in the world in real time. Dr. Kurt, final thoughts um, on this notion of how we go about redefining and promoting positive expressions of black masculinity well i think we have to do a job of listing the brothers who are doing real work such as yourself uh brother jason wilson out of detroit that's where i got the uh, comprehensive man term from Mm -hmm. brothers who are doing the real work who have uh continued to express fully giving the young brothers permission to be fully expressed tell your story tell your journey show your journey shine your own light on some of those cracks and allow some of that openness to spill over to the young brothers. And I think overall we're doing a great job, right? I follow a ton of brothers on, online who are doing real work, mm-hmm. and we just have to keep the charge. This is uh, we got to do everything all the time for as long as it takes. Yeah. And I'm happy to be a part of the charge. I'm glad you are a part of the charge. How do you sustain your hope with all that is still coming at black men? How do you sustain your hope in the work you do every day? That's a good question. I stay in the gym, Brother Tavis, <laughs> right? Watch what I eat. Yeah. I don't own the TV. I keep my face in the book. I hang around people that, that really feeds my soul. Uh, I'm, I, I celebrate opportunities like this. Um, and so, I, you know, I've learned to take better care of myself uh, since around 40. So the last 12 years, I've stepped up, yeah. uh, mostly out of necessity of taking good care of myself. Yeah. Here's the Final, final exit question. I keep lying to you. Here's the exit question for real, because I, I ain't got but 45 seconds left. Um, but I'm struck by your uh, not only in television. I, I've been uh, at that part, uh, that phase, rather, in various parts of my life where I, where I tuned out and checked out myself. And sometimes I'll put my cell phone down for a while just to just to de- just to uh, de- 
disconnect from it. Um, uh, but what, what say you to black men finally about the things that we imbibe, the things that we take into our spirits and our souls and our beings? Be careful. Be very careful. You're not alone. Guard everything you have in terms of letting things in. You owe it to yourself. You don't have to let it in because it's out there. Take better care of yourself, brothers. There you Take go. Take better care of yourself. Dr. Curtis yeah. D. Jasper, scholar and expert uh, in a number of fields, but I've been delighted to have had him on uh, as one who has a practice, a thriving practice in Atlanta, although he's from Chicago, one of my favorite American cities. Uh, Dr. Kurt, good to have you on, man. We'll do it again somewhere down the road. Take care of yourself, brother. Thank you. And uh, and we related, brother. The dream of digs. I heard me and you related. Yo, yo. So I'm happy to be a part of it. Always good to be in dialogue <laughs> yo, with, a, yo. With, a, with a good cap of brother. I ain't mad at him. Uh, love that brother even more now. Uh, that's our show for today. Thanks for tuning in. Time to make room now for the KBLA Midday Money Chain. Up next, the Millionaire's Roundtable with Lynn Richardson to be followed by Ahead of the Crypto Curve with Naja Roberts. Old money, new money. Either way, we've got you covered. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Lord willing, back here tomorrow morning to do it all over again. Until then. Bobby Caldwell, we miss you. We love you. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And as always, keep the faith. KBLA 1580 Santa Monica.